The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Holly, we've been doing this for years. We've been in in radio for over 20 years. And in that time, you talk to a lot of CCM artists. Even over the last five years, as we've been doing the Why Me Project, you know, we've talked to like a Lecrae or Brandon Murphy. Mm -hmm. So we don't always get to dive into a bunch of different genres, if you will. And so our guest this week, I would say, is probably one of the most eclectic, well-versed, maybe. And I'm just, this is from an outsider's perspective. He could definitely prove us wrong. But uh, Jesse Sprinkle, my friend, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm I'm looking forward to proving you wrong. (laughs) Well, uh, the hardest question you will get is uh, our very first one, and that is, Jesse, who are you and where did you come from? Oh, my goodness. I am a mystery. No, I'm Jesse Sprinkle. I was born in... I say Seattle, Washington, but I was born and raised on a small island called Vashon Island right outside of Seattle. I'm a human person who's been a musician my entire life, and I grew up on the West Coast. I now live on the East Coast. Father of five, tea fanatic is my next Mm -hmm. endeavor in life. Someday I want to be fully in tea and only partially in music. Right now it's the opposite. um, (laughs) And I've been a photographer this whole time, too, as well. So those are the things, like, definitely things surrounding the arts have been following me around my whole life. It's been a lot of different stages, of course, but I'm still here living and breathing. I find that people who grew up on the West Coast, a little more creative, a little more artsy. That might mm-hmm. just be a generalization but or a stereotype of West Coasters. But uh, for you, do you feel like where you grew up contributed to that creative brand that you have? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, this came up in a conversation actually the other day. I, I'm really grateful for where I grew up. And the time I grew up there, I definitely would not want to be there right now for a lot of different reasons. And I don't like to talk about politics so much, but I'm not a real mm. big fan of what Seattle is at this at this time. But in the 90s, it was just the most thriving, booming, creative area. And I, obviously music, it transformed the world in the 90s. So, um, But just, yes, the, I think the overall culture out there is more artistic. So point being is like, I, I feel like if I grew up here, I would not be in, I didn't, I wouldn't be installed with so much creativity and probably wouldn't be challenged as much to, to be who I am. But now I just can kind of settle in and just kind of do my, do my thing. It is quite calm out here. It's not that there's no music where I live, but it's not that nowhere near the same. But you think about California and Oregon and Washington, there's a lot of, you know, music acting, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think the stereotype is probably true, but Seattle was more of, correct me if I'm wrong, like eighties time. That was more of like the grunge era. And that was kind of where that sound came from. Most definitely eighties into the early nineties. And then, you know, even though my band wasn't grunge by any means, but I still think that that energy of, of the creative music in that time frame was affected us quite a lot. So let's talk about then uh, this this love of music. Now, was music a big thing for, for you and your family? Because I think of you, I think of your brother, I think, you know, mm-hmm. poor old Lou and that. But was that something that your parents had instilled in you? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think it happened from both sides, naturally and encouraged by our parents. You know, the, the thing I'm super grateful for is not many parents would say, yes, you can drop out of high school and go on tour. <laughs> like, you know, most of my <laughs> friends' parents would be like, absolutely not. So, yeah, my dad is an incredible guitarist who won't admit that. Um, and I know my mom has musicality in her blood, but it's not like she played music when we were younger. But my dad taught us a lot, and then we got started at a young age. And even one one really important experience in our life, which I don't talk about a whole lot, but in the mid-'80s, my dad got offered work in Southern California. So we moved from Seattle to Orange County 
that was huge for our life. Cause at that point, you know, I was short. I, I didn't know I wasn't going to grow up taller, but I wanted to be, a, you know, an athlete like every kid. So, but in Cal in California, there's this huge music scene. Like the radio is huge. They played, you know, even on Christian radio, they played U2 and Striper and, you know, all the kind of cutting edge type stuff. Um, so that's when I got interested in drums and I got interested in heavy metal and all that kind of stuff. So when we came back to Washington, which we didn't stay there very long, under two years, something was very different in me. So I think both me and my brother were inspired with music at that point. So it was sort of a destiny thing and my parents definitely encouraged it. So it was a win-win thing there. So creatively, my life has been satisfying, but I think that the occupation of being a, a musician is a, is a disaster most of the time, but. Yeah, it's tough. And <laughs> there's so much do? that, you know, oh, COVID, now I can't tour. And what am I going to do now? Yeah, it was hard and, enough as it was. <laughs> yeah, right? Just <laughs> compounded the difficulty level of being a, an artist and uh, a musician who's who's on the mm -hmm. road. I mean, I think most parents, like you said, would be like, finish your high school, at least. Mm -hmm. Go to college. You know, when are you going to find a real career? Um, so I'm guessing yep. that was really never a part of growing up for you. It was just like, no, seek no. your and dreams I, and your passions. That's incredible. It, it was great. And I'm hoping deep down that my parents really did know that we had something special because I've seen, now that I've been on the, the production side of music, of course, you've seen a hundred, if not more parents that come to you saying, oh, my kid is so talented. <laughs> of course, I want your kid to be talented. And once in a while they are, but like... I know for the most part, we see our children with, you know, rose colored glasses and want them to be the best at everything. So hopefully my parents really could tell that there was something special going on. Um, but we, we are fortunate that they, uh, were behind us all the way. And my, me and my dad wasn't just like, it's okay to do that. He would drive us to gigs, you know, before we were able to drive. I, I was playing clubs in Seattle at 14 years old, you know, the clubs that like wouldn't even let me be in the club. I had to stay back backstage the whole time because they have <laughs> really strict liquor license and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but he was really proactive with our, with our music, which was great. So yeah, grateful for that. My son is, is a piano player, you know, love the sound of the guitar. Your parents are like, why did he have to choose the drums? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I mean, they, they must've had some special grace in that sense, because I mean, my brother doing music with guitar, like that's fine, but I'm sitting there practicing. Now, if you get into my early influences and if you are aware of what some of these bands are, sure. uh, tourniquet, mortification, vengeance, rising deliverance, all that stuff, like just abrasively obnoxiously loud music to the point where I think my mom actually started to learn the lyrics to like <laughs> death metal band you know, songs and stuff. So, um, it's amazing. Now that I think about having to endure that much noise they should be in sainthood or something to that effect but, i'm sure but now yeah. being a parent of five children you see this from a completely different lens for you now being a dad five kids mm -hmm. are you going to be at the von trapp family and, and put them in the music route or <laughs> well they all are they all are creative and talented in their own way but i think they're going to kind of do their own thing instead of feel like i'm trying not to make them I'm letting them be who they are, obviously. They, I can tell they're all musical, but um, deep down, I wouldn't even wish upon them a music career unless they really, you know, have it in them. Because um, it's not just when I think I'm a weakling, the fact that I've <laughs> been in music and haven't given up for, you know, 30 years is pretty insane. I don't, I don't really understand that part. But um, yeah, the, the trick with parenthood, which as, as you know, is 
that balance between encouraging them and letting them, you know, learn their own things. It's, it's tricky, but a couple of my kids are very visually gifted. One of my, my oldest daughter is an incredible painter and artist that way. So it's, it's neat to see all that stuff unfold. So here you are at the age of 14, you're playing in clubs, uh, you know, you, at what point did you guys start kind of doing the whole touring across the U S and realizing that maybe this music thing could become a career? Again, what's, what's different about being a kid in that time frame is, you know, people come to me and say like, you know, what's your advice for making it in the music industry? And like, I right. have no advice because we just played music and then we were signed and then we were touring. Like we didn't do any sort of, promoting or like trying to do any of that kind of stuff so um i could tell something you know was really happening but the fact that i was you know 15 14 15 years old we were playing gigs and then by when i was 15 16 is when our demo got to the record company via randy stonehill and terry taylor and then we're just signed we're, we're on a national label i'm in high school and then we start traveling first we just did trips up the coast because it was kind sure. of difficult to go around the country. Um, but still, by the time I was 18, I was traveling around the U.S., like not knowing how in the heck that happened or what, you know, I'm not even thinking future. I'm just like, okay, we're doing music. So, um, and then there, from there, all the work for the rest of my life just kind of happened. I didn't really need to work on a resume or anything like that. It was just kind of one thing after another. In the sense of people, you know, going to school for music, I almost always say, don't do it. You'll waste important years. <laughs> if you're doing that kind of work um, yeah. now, obviously yeah. if you want to be a doctor or, you know, in a symphony, then, you know, maybe school would work, but um, that would have been really very counterproductive for me to say, Hey, I have a degree. And I'd be like, I don't care. What can you play? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, yeah. And actually the, my very first U S full U S tour was not even playing with poor Luo's drumming for Starflyer 59 on their first tour, the singer played drums on the record. So he couldn't do all that stuff. So that was a really interesting trip. And then it all just kind of unraveled from there. So in good ways. It's interesting that you said you don't necessarily have to have this resume. I mean, you have a resume of playing with a number of bands, right. a number of different genres. How do you get hooked up with, let's say, a demon hunter or get hooked up with a dead poetic? Is is it there's a ad and you just, you know, there's a eBay online Kijiji it's ad? More like, it just happened. For one, I don't have an answer for it. But if I did make up an answer that was creative, it, that would be like the Sprinkle Mafia, I guess, is what it would be like. In general, it's kind of word of mouth or people know who you are. But in that specific case, I was pretty lucky with a, a stream of like four or five gigs in a row because my brother happened to be the main producer at Tooth and Nail. So right. with Demon Hunter, he's like, hey, Don and Ryan are doing this thing and, you know, like try it out. And then it worked, you know. Um, and then with Dead Poetic, I happened to be in Seattle at the time and they were recording an album. And now this is a very sensitive subject because for the guy that was in the band, it was very unfortunate. But they started making their second record and their and basically the producer and, and label were like, this guy isn't good enough. So mm. they just took, sent, sent me in, like called me in the next morning. I was in there playing drums on the record. So um, for me, it was good for him. It was unfortunate because it was a very awkward session with him kind of moping around trying to help me <laughs> like Aww. get ideas for the album. Um, but I just don't think he was necessarily cut out for that gig. Unfortunately for like for those things. And also I played on two cutlass records, which are, technically some of the biggest projects I was on, but they weren't, yeah. uh, they actually weren't able to put my name on the, the projects because of integrity matters. Like they don't want fans to think that they weren't good enough to be on the record, that kind of thing. But years later, I suppose it's, it's okay for me to, I don't think I'll get anyone <laughs> after me if I say something about that, but, um, 
Yeah. So that was the that was a big that scene with the tooth and nail thing was pretty tight knit. So I think a lot of those things happen naturally. But yeah, to be a studio drummer, I mean that just means that that's like a whole other level of drumming. Um, my brother in law is a drummer, and if you can sit mm-hmm. there in a studio and be that clean and crisp. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So even though you say it was the Sprinkle Mafia, yeah. uh, there's well, definitely yeah, still some had a reason talent for in there. Yeah. So humble. <laughs> there's talent uh, there, no, too. <laughs> is, and I've tried to dis- describe that. You understand, obviously, but some people can, you know, jam out live and it's fine. But there's mm-hmm. something about there's a there's a nuance to drumming in the studio that a lot of people don't get. And I didn't even quite understand it for years until I got the best compliment I've ever got is the mixing engineer that mixed a lot of those records and he and he told me how much he looks forward to me playing on the albums because of how easy it is for him to mix and it's the way I'm hitting so you can have you know five people hit the exact same drum and it will sing differently like have different tones to it so it's partially your accuracy in playing but also the way that same way with a guitar I mean someone could strum uh, an acoustic guitar and just make it sound like garbage just like you know sound like that and then other people could gracefully play it and it would just start singing there is a big difference, though, because it's almost like two completely different skill sets, but some yeah. people can have both or yeah. neither. I don't know. But yeah, yeah it, it is something I really love to do. That's the benefit of the work I do now. So I, I, I run a studio full time. Now, I the irony is I don't really like working on music that much anymore. Um, I just I don't want to just bring anyone in and record because I'm just so tired of music. But one of the mm-hmm. benefits is people get a session drummer here. So whether they're a singer songwriter without a drummer, I can play along with stuff. Or sometimes people just send me files from another state and say, Hey, we just need drums on this and we'll finish it. Like that's helped me kind of keep the studio moving along, especially with the tech technological era that we're in. But is playing drums though, with different styles, like uh, whether it's hard rock or rock or it, do you play it the same? Like as somebody who doesn't understand drums, and you oh, listen yeah. to it because I listen to like a Demon Hunter album and it's, and then you hear something and I'm like, this is. And then I've got my acoustic folk stuff with like brushes and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I do play it different, but the thing that it took me a lot, like I've been, I inherited this from my, I'll just be honest, from my dad is very uh, self-sabotaging and uh, self-deprecating, but you know, it's hard to give yourself compliments. I think a lot of us struggle with that, but. Through the years, I finally realized that it's not my skill set of like being able to play fast or complicated, but being able to just feel out different kinds of music. And then Mm. when people start to address that, like there's a signature sound that someone has, even if I'm playing louder music or quieter music, they can still say, hey, that definitely sounds like, you know, Jesse playing that stuff. So in a way I do play, you know, differently for the different styles, but I also know my limits and my boundaries. Like I can't. I can't, you know, hack it with like the real deal, like jazz players. I could do some sort of fake jazz mixed with hip hop because that's what I grew up, you know, listening to jazz loops on like a Tribe Called Quest record or something like mm. that, where you can, you can simulate a version of that. But, you know, there's certain styles that I just don't, I don't play like the super fast, complicated, you know, we were on tour with Extol, like Demon Hunter and Extol. They were opening up for us, but I still think they were way better of a band and we always felt super insecure <laughs> when we started we get up on stage and we just watch them play and i'm just like oh my gosh i can't because <laughs> they're really good so but i'll never be able to play to that extent i, would, I don't you don't have the, the interest of doing that but these days i just like to kind of sit back in the pocket and just play you know nice grooves and musical type beats and stuff you know not not like in musicals but yeah stuff yeah. that feels good 
Yeah. Next Jesse on Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When the discovery that you had some skills behind the lens uh, hmm. come to light with your photography? Uh, very good question. Mostly on tours. Like, uh, as I started traveling, I just, I, I was obsessed with documenting it. And I didn't think of it in the sense of a fine art skill or a career or anything. I just loved, you know, to remember the trips and stuff. And it started even my first tour, I just had a point and shoot camera and I got some pretty interesting pictures. And I had a few friends that were really talented musicians that were in my life um, that inspired me a little bit at the beginning there. And I don't know, it just kind of unraveled like instantaneously. And I shot a lot with film for, you know, a decade or so and was a little late to the game with the digital cameras because I was so into, you know, the, the old school camera approach. But now I, I'm grateful I've saved um, hundreds of thousands of dollars probably and and not printing pictures unless you really need to, you know, that kind of a thing. I honestly think I spend more time doing photography than I do music nowadays because it's just constant. Like I, I spent hours like editing pictures and going on walks or, you know, pulling like on the way to church and everything. My family just like, I think they just bring, books and phones with them because I know I'm going to pull off to the side of the road and like disappear into the woods or something like that. They just, they're dead. really used to it. Yeah. He's they're just wandering. like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes like the, you know, the sun's like beating off this lake that we drive by, you know, these trees are like, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, that's just kind of nonstop. Like even when I'm burnt out on music, I find myself still just shooting all the time, which is mm-hmm. pretty interesting. And I am actually launching a website with all that stuff after years and years of people saying like, why don't you do something with these? I just like yeah. post them online and people say like it. And that's about as far as it goes. Um, but no, I'm, I'm starting a site where people can go through all the different categories of things. So to what end? I don't know, but give it a shot. Yeah. You've immersed yourself in, in music your, your whole life. And, and you talk about when you get burnt out, what does, what does musical burnout, what is that like? Because for somebody like us, I mean, we do radio, but radio is kind of a different form of music. We're not immersed like you are. Mm. To me, it's bad. <laughs> to me, it's like, it, it's like overdose meets depression. Like sometimes, and I get, I have the funniest conversations with people because I almost get the sense of people just being disappointed and judging and angry with me when I say that. Cause to most people, like music is the most beautiful, like it's their, it's their escape. It's the it's thing therapy that therapy too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not like I've broken my relationship with music, but there are times where if you're working on it for days and days and days and days and days and days and days without a break. And the unfortunate part is a lot of times I have to hear the same song over again for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes these songs are not good. Like they're the things that make you not like music. So it's almost like I feel guilty that I'm pushing more mediocre, mediocre music out into the universe. And I'm going to someday be on trial for it. Um, (laughs) But the, the, the side effects are uh, no, the, the strange side effects though are, or sometimes a song just gets looped in my head and I can't get it out. And I, and I like some nights I can't sleep. I have to actually put like a show on or something because the song mm. just keeps looping through my head. Uh, and, and even sometimes good music does that too. Just, it just happens. But, or when I'm trying to write and I just don't want to hear music and then I just put it down and walk away. Um, but I don't know. It's not the worst problem in the world. I, I suppose it'd be better than a lot of other things, but. Eh, burnout's still burnout. No matter it is. What, right? And that's, 
Yeah. And the, the, the strangest, most patronizing thing that I get from people is like, oh, you get to do music. Your life's great. You know, it's like, okay, maybe it is sometimes. But um, the thought of hating something as beautiful as music is is a terrible place to be. So not that I hate it, but it can be, it can the be. The process can be tiring. Yeah. For sure. But I still keep making it. I teach sometimes, but those, you know, students kind of come and go because, you know, they don't realize how hard it is to to play music sometimes. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> And then, like I said, tea, you know, tea is one of the things that keeps me centered. And I'm, I'm not talking just like getting bags of tea. I'm talking like a, a fairly like lifestyle oriented, like learning about the regions and the, and the different eras and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty overwhelming, but that's cool. But it's an art form in and here. Of I mean, yeah, I we don't, I don't drink coffee now. I used to drink yeah. tea only and then I had two kids and no sleep. <laughs> now it's, I need a little extra <laughs> shot. I like but, coffee, yeah. but it, it sometimes doesn't it doesn't do well with me. So if I if I'm already anxious and I have coffee, mm-hmm. it, it can make a day kind of go uh, awry. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I love. I mean, I, I get why why people love it, whatever. But what I think people just don't realize the vast universe of tea. It's not just like oh, there's green and black, and you know, it's like there's just gazillions amounts, like Ooh. subcategories within subcategories, you know. And now I'm getting in, like, drinking tea, like, from the 1990s and stuff, and it's one of my favorite kinds. But, unfortunately, really? it's, it's either hard to find or not cheap to get, so. So it's like wine. So you're like, oh, this is uh, this is it's an vintage. oolong from 1993. Correct. But, really? But, 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 the, but the funny thing is that there's one style of tea, which is probably the most, uh, you know, underrated or least talked about in the u.s at least because it's not as common uh puer tea is actually a living tea like the the leaves will ferment over time and actually you know transform so sort of like you would the uh, kombucha or sure say sauerkraut or kimchi or something it does ferment and actually have some form of microbiology going on so uh, it's very it's very interesting so it starts as a green tea and then after you know 20 30 years it's it's a lot darker and and deeper and all that so it's just it's mind-blowing but super That's good for cool. you too i i dislike a loose tea because i hate getting the little leafy things down at the bottom of my cup so i need to have it bagged no matter what oh yeah there's easy ways to get around that the loose leaf i just i just strain it i just steep it in one cup and then strain it out into the next mm. one and, and i can drink that for you know half a day over and over and over again, especially that kind of tea is, is for some reason more, more durable. I can drink it for hours, the same, the same leaves. So that kind of helps center me too when, when life gets a little funky. So before we ask you about, you know, your, your why me moments mm-hmm. and in the hills and valleys of life, you ask God that question, why me? I mean, mm-hmm. you do have a, a new album that was released at the beginning of March and, and universes. Is that kind of how you want? Uh, your, your sound to be like, when you go into it, it's just like, I'm just going to, these are, this is my sound. These are the songs I'm going to put out. Or do you have a vision as to mm. what you wanted it to be like? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the answer would be different depending on the album, because this project actually is the last two. It's my music since lockdown and it's stuff yeah. that I released in Patreon. So there was zero, zero thought of how the songs connected to each one. It was just, what's going on in this moment? Here's a song. What's going on? That's why a couple of them are rap songs that I had to censor some of the lyrics or just showing like you're, you know, there's, there are some messages in there that are very, very unpopular with musicians that are like agreeing with the narrative of the way the world is right now. So I think Hmm. the world should be, especially in the music world, should not be in agreement altogether. 
it went through a lot of different emotions. You know, one song was like, how can we just think about the beautiful, the scripture of, you know, things that are wonderful and beautiful think on these things. I wanted one song that's just like, how can we think about the good things in life right now? Like, so there was almost no connection between each one yet. They're all within like that couple year experience of everyone dealing with the strangest world that we've ever seen in our lifetime. So yeah, which is probably yeah. more true to life. I mean, in one moment you can feel happy, the next moment depressed. Yeah. It's been such a challenging yeah. <laughs> two years for for so many, well, I'm going to say for everybody. Mm-hmm. The stats are really staggering with how many people are dealing with mental health. And uh, I love that. It's just yeah. this hodgepodge of emotions. and uh, it, you know, Yeah, it would be musical too. therapy would be the simplest way of, of putting it. And then it yeah. was kind of what kept me writing during that time but i wasn't thinking so much about even an album it was just more a couple weeks ago i'm like i should just put all these together you know because i know a lot of people wouldn't follow like each song as as it happened so it was more of a way to just collect that all for for folks that uh generally don't care yeah (laughs) (laughs) how do i say it nicely Uh, we just want a good song yeah exactly but it does i mean sort of like what you were saying at the very beginning though is the how eclectic you know there's 90s rock stuff there's acoustic songs there's a couple rap songs there's you know elements where it gets a little heavier and very seldom do i get to be lighthearted or you know bring my my humor into it which is what i do sort of with uh, a couple other projects that but it is really like all over the board musically but that's just been my whole life like when i joined my first band i was the only kid in there that was straight up into heavy metal like rap and heavy metal was all i listened to as a kid and then i mm-hmm. got into more of like the atmospheric music and then classical and then folk stuff you know like it so now it's just all over the place so sometimes i think that's good other times it's confusing like i have no idea but I think a lot of people are like that now too, though, because we went from like having albums where Mm -hmm. everything kind of made sense and there was a theme. Yeah. And then Napster happens and, you know, we've moved into a digital world and now it's so single. You just kind of hear this and that. Yeah. Yeah, Like so many playlists are like, oh, I'm in the mood for, I don't know, the sound of rain. Oh, but now I really (laughs) need some hard drums. (laughs) Yeah. No, I know. I hear you. And I, I mean, it, in my whole life, I probably would say one genre I never liked was country music, but I ironically have played on and off with a couple country bands for money. Um, <laughs> I find a couple songs here and there I kind of like. I don't necessarily love the culture of it or the, the music scene of it necessarily, but there, there are good songs within it. So like I try to try to appreciate, or oh, there's even alt country bands that I don't know if you've heard Vigilantes of Love, but he has some country-like qualities in his music, even though it's more kind of folk music, but I really like his songs a lot. Well, this is the Why Me Project podcast. Mm. So can you think of any Why Me moments, whether it was in a valley where things weren't going so well or a mountaintop where you were just Mm. humbled to be in that that position in that season? I have an immediate mountaintop. So when I was talking earlier about just kind of going with the first thing that you think of, um, I have, it was a mountaintop. I have years of valley moments. I wouldn't even know where to really, <laughs> the, the valley would be like, why did I do music? Um, everybody in music is difficult. And that's more of just a process or whatever. But it, the, the good why me moment is I've, I've pinched myself physically and emotionally in 08, I was asked to go on a short-term missions trip to East Africa. And it was at a time where, you know, some people would be like, well, I'll pray about, you know, it's like, nope. Sometimes you don't need to, like, ask whether you should uh, pray about, you know, 
running somebody over with your car. You just know you shouldn't do it. <laughs> you shouldn't do it. Um, so <laughs> it just was like, it felt like I got to do something with my life right now. Um, so I went to Uganda and ended up going every year, sometimes twice a year. Wow. I've been there eight times and just fell in love with the people there. It wasn't, I mean, sure. There's this mix of like, sir, you're being helpful and you're helping and you know, you love being somewhere new, all this sort of stuff. But I just, I just fell in love with that country and it was difficult for me to not be there for a while. So, which is another reason why probably I hate the way the world is now because I want to get back out there. Um, but that was, and, and yeah, there's a lot of healing it did for me. You know, I know a lot of times life is reciprocal when it comes to helping other people and they help you. So, you know, someone can uh, say that you're doing missions for selfish reasons. I don't care what people think. <laughs> like it was just, it felt like I needed to be doing it. So, and I'm still constantly involved with people's lives out there, even when I'm not physically there. But the some of the moments I had in Uganda were beyond my wildest dreams, like ever, like when I try to explain, you know, I've been, whether it's been being on MTV or being, you know, at festivals in front of thousands of people or just in just really amazing moments or when people tell you about, you know, their friend died of a car accident and they were thinking about suicide and they heard your song and their life changed. Like all those things are incredible. But the moments I had doing music in Uganda, like everything like paled in comparison. Like I was, I just like, how did I get here? Why am I doing this? Like, and it went from doing music to working with street kids to doing, you know, a water project. There's all these different things I had my fingers in. Um, and it was just beyond words. Like, I didn't know how to explain it. I don't know how, like, how did this happen? Why, why me? And like, and at the time, it's not like I was this great person that just had this vision for ministry, whatever. Like I was, <laughs> I don't know how to say without expletives, but like, I was, <laughs> like, I was messed up. Like, emotionally and just, you know, professionally, all these sorts of things. And it just seemed like God still had a, a way to just put me somewhere else and do something with me regardless. So um, that was one of the why me moments of like, why, you know, why did I get chosen for this? And it's still, I feel like it's going to be a life thing actually, because I don't plan on breaking ties with those communities out there, even though I'm not going to be physically there as much, but anyways, mm-hmm. that's a tip of the iceberg. So. It's amazing how we can go on these mission trips and we're like, we're going to go and we're going to change the world. Yeah. And then we get there and be like, oh, wow, do we suck? And yeah. we we yeah. get changed because of the people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's very interesting because I, I want it to just be, you know, brother and brother and brother and sister and sister and sister, like between the nations, because we go there. Obviously, we have resources to help some of those communities. Like I, the, the first few teams I went with were getting water towers that would help villages, you know, get clean water. And that's fantastic. And we have the resources. We can raise money and we can get these there. But whenever we would leave the country, they would come to us saying, hey, can you give us advice? You know, because they look up to us as, you know, and after two or three trips, I would just look at them and be like, yo, you guys, like, I feel like <laughs> you should be sending me off with advice because they live their faith out of necessity. Whereas a lot of times and this, I don't think this is even up for debate, but you know, religion and church in America is kind of like a club or something, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's not the same sort of like desperate need for faith to survive. Hmm. And it's just a part of your being quite the same way. It's a little more of like a cultural um, luxury or something like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it was very humbling to know that, 
or we can just help each other out in different ways. You know what I mean? Like we have different strengths and weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. So, but I just, I'm still blessed that I'm in a place where even though I don't have a lot of funds, like somebody can contact me from Uganda and say, Hey, like we have to get the surgery for my brother. We don't have the money. And I can just kind of say, okay, I can ask some people and then I can raise a little bit of money to help at least alleviate that stress for him. I'm not just going to take care of all their problems, obviously, but I've been, I've had, I can't even count the times that I've had, families just help me out they mm. can tell that we're struggling or something and they just oh, i'll help you get through the situation like i don't deserve that you know i should, i didn't earn it or anything like that so i just think that whole cycle can work whether it's helping people up the road or people across the country or people on another continent but yeah but i i'm, I'm with you though about they can help us out encourage us a lot so it's amazing to me, though, because you look at churches in developing countries and people are traveling hours upon hours sometimes to get there and church services, not an hour. It's, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine hours where Western, Western states in Canada and they were like, okay, uh, church is over and out. The, the preacher's preaching way too yeah. fast. How people are we going to get? Praise and worship. We're pushing like two noon over. here, pastor. I know, dude. I do music, uh, on Sundays. Which is weird. That's a whole other just confusing thing to me because I just, I thought I would be so tired of music and church and I thought yeah. I would have just, just, you know, distanced myself from everything. But it's still a great community. We love being with these people. And even though I do get tired of music, I still, you know, help out there. But it's funny how we like four songs, finish it up yeah. so they don't like lose their attention span or whatever. It's like, but, and I, we got to drive 20 minutes. <laughs> Although in the winter time it is really stressful um, to travel for me, I I get a little anxious. But in Seattle, even though it rains a lot, there's no there's no snow issues. So I didn't grow up with snow problems. Oh, uh, we did. You Canadians probably know. <laughs> we did. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, life is life is bizarre though. You know. Yeah. Yeah, life, it is. <laughs> that's what I'm going to tell everybody here. Life is bizarre. That sounds like Any words of encouragement? Yeah. Life yeah. bizarre. <laughs> Tune in Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> At Jesse Sprinkle, 1976 on the Insta, com. Brother, we appreciate you taking some time and uh, sharing your heart today. Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. I know going into it because I, I was just like, is Jesse, is he going to say yes? Because I'm always surprised when, when people say, we're like, hey, do you want to be on? And they're like, yeah. And we're like, what? And he said yes, and he actually showed up. What a great conversation. And to think that a guy who played that kind of music is all now a tea connoisseur. I love it. Follow us on the likes of Instagram, Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. You can also download on on all the different uh, socials or all the different uh, medium platforms, if you will. Sure. There's a lot out there. Uh, we are on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple, Edify, iHeart now. Um, Pure so volume. You name it. Yeah. MySpace. MySpace. <laughs> and uh, faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah.